Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 235, recorded at Big Dog Studio in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is made possible by... Oh man, that's such a pickup. You gotta try this tiger tea from Sacred Blossom Farms. In fact, if you go to sacredblossomfarms.com right now and enter in Real Herb, all caps, 15, you can save 15% on your next order. Tell them that Practical Herbalist sent you. And now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Radio. So, Patrick. Yep. How'd that kimchi challenge go for you? Kimchi challenge success. All right. <laughs> How did you like making your first kimchi? Um, it wasn't as hard as I thought, and I didn't know what the big deal was. Yeah. I mean, other than time. It takes a little bit of time to, you know, to, to deal with, you know, the chopping and, and getting things together. It takes maybe... An hour all in, getting everything set yeah, and put it in together the way you want. And then, you know, so it, it does take about an hour, but we're making a half gallon of it at a time too. Yeah. So we're not making a quart. We're making, you know, two quarts at a time, yes. which is at least a week, week and a half worth of kimchi. So it's not like it's every, you know, every other day you're doing, you're spending an hour to make kimchi. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, usually when I do the ferments, I stagger them. So when I'm down to the last, you know, I know I've got three or four days of, Right. sauerkraut or kimchi or whatever left, mm-hmm. I'll start the next one so that maybe I've got a day break, but yeah, not too much of a break between. Right. I yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, so how did, how did you, how did you do this? What was like? Well, we, we, I think we based it on that. Um, well, we, we have a friend whose mom's Korean. Yes. Well, she's Korean too, I suppose, because if your mom's Korean, then she's Korean. Yeah. <laughs> and she makes the best kimchi I've ever had. Oh, God, yes. Right? Yes. And I always want to know how to do that. Right. So she shared her recipe with us in video. She videoed it. Yeah. You know, she makes these really big bowls of it and she's on the right. floor and she's stirring <laughs> right. it and she's, you know, making it. So I kind of followed that same idea of how to do it. So what, what we did is um, the base of it was Napa cabbage. Yeah. And you could use regular white cabbage if that's what you have. But Napa I like because it's – it's um it's crispy but it's not crunchy. Yeah. I like the I like the feel of the napa better than It holds its form nicely. Yeah, yeah. versus versus the the standard um white cabbage that we get. So we did the base was napa cabbage. And uh um we also from that base then we added some other things to it um as kimchi is as you want to do. And there's you know there's not a lot of like die hard specifics. It's like nice. anything else. Yeah. You kind of use what you have and you, you go there. But there are some things you can follow. Um, for us, uh, one of the tips that we got, um, and I hadn't seen this in other kimchis before, mm-hmm. was the use of pear or apple as the sweetener. Yes. Instead of yeah. um, a rice syrup or a, or a brown sugar or sugar to give you that. There's a little bit of sweetness in kimchi. If you've ever had kimchi, you'll notice there's a little bit of sweetness in it. Yes, and if you're trying to avoid all processed sugars because you don't want the inflammatory right. effect. Apple is really great because it also yeah. has pectin in it, so that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I love the apple part of it, so that was a great thing. And, and there's a balance between apples and the other ingredient, which is carrots. Those have a lot of sweetness, They have too. a lot of sweetness, too. Um, they have a little bit of more complexity, and they're more crunched because they're, they're carrots, you know, and you're not, you're not shredding them uh, when you put them in, and you're not, you're, not, you're not cutting them necessarily tiny either. They're, you know, a decent-sized carrot uh, chunk. Yeah. And I say chunk because I don't cut them. I don't slice them. 
Right. You have a fancy pants technique. I do have a fancy pants technique. And I got that from one of our one of my favorite cookbooks on um, Hunan cuisine. Yeah, by Fuchsia Dunlop, I right. think. And uh, there's, a, there's a whole section on how to chop vegetables. And one of the things that she talks about, like with specifically with carrots – is you can okay you can julienne carrots or you can match the carrots and they're very very fine you can chop you can slice them you can shred them of course but this technique takes the carrot and as you cut it you roll it along the cutting board away from you and cut in different angles with your knife and then you bring it back and do the same thing what this does is it creates non-uniform pieces of carrot and when you're stir frying those those little non-uniformities those thin sides of the carrot they caramelize and they do some really cool things when you're stir-frying them. So you get that really sweet hit and then you get that crunch from the carrot. So nice. just by changing the way you cut it, you get this different flavor. So that's what I did. I cut it like that because I thought, well, why not? You know, it yeah. wouldn't be the same the same thing. So that's what I did for the carrots. So again, apple carrot balance. You know, I think I think we did what? One apple? Yeah. One apple, I think I did. Yeah, I one did one two. apple for that. One or two usually. Yeah. It's all about your your sweetness level, but I think yeah. with apple you can you can be a little more generous instead of like throwing tablespoons of sugar in. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because if you do that too, you could overpower the, with the sugar and that's not going to be tasty. It kind of depends on the size of your apple too because I think that day yeah. we had some really big apples. Yeah, exactly. So oh. it's kind of how you want to want to go from there. Yeah. And another big thing that um, since I've kind of gone vegan, vegetarian, there's this choice between seaweed or fish sauce. Well, actually – all the recipes are just fish sauce. Yes, they are. Nobody suggests seaweed no except for our friend. Right. She said, well, maybe you could try this. Yeah. <laughs> so we're right. like, all right. <laughs> and so we had a lot of wakame, which yes. is a um, seaweed that's like, if you ever see it, it's like these little pieces of seaweed. They're, they're just, they look like, um, I want to say uh, it's a good example of what wakame looks like. They're just little tiny shreds. Little tiny, of, like super like hard a, shreds of seaweed, right? Yeah, they're like a rolled but, leaf green tea. But they're salty and they have that flavor. And the, I think the reason why you do fish sauce is because it does have salt and there's a flavor of that in there. And that's yeah, there's an ocean for. flavor. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the seaweed does a great job and I like yeah. the way that it, it adds um, not only flavor but appearance because there's these nice um, – it's like pretty green ribbons. Uh, yeah, there. because yeah, because the wakame hydrates and yeah. then it expands. Then you have these ribbons of, and then it's like just really cool flavor. So I think we like, or I like the seaweed over the fish sauce. I thought that was great. And the other thing that I, I which surprised me was from all the recipes that I looked at. You know, it's always, and it's always any time that that a cookbook or someone tells you you're going to need two cloves of garlic and you're going to need one tablespoon of ginger. Well, if you want to make it like like grandma soon does, then you need to go like three times that amount of ginger, four times the amount of ginger, three, four times that amount of garlic. heads of garlic. Yeah. She's like, boom. I mean, I had, I chopped so much ginger and garlic. I'm like, this thing is going to taste nothing but ginger and garlic. Uh, You know, really two, almost, I would say half cup each easy of both ginger and garlic chopped. Which is a lot of ginger and garlic. Yes. Right? Way more than any recipe I'd seen taste so for. So tasty. Right. And I thought, again, it was going to be way overpowered. The other thing, and we've mentioned this before on the podcast, is the uh, Korean pepper flakes. Yes. And you can get those so at Asian good. stores or a really well-appointed grocery store will have them. Mm-hmm. And they're, uh, they're a Korean red chili and a gochujang, I think it is. The no, go, go, gochujang is the, the sauce, paste. The paste. 
but there are, I forgot the proper uh, name for, for the, the, the pepper. Red. Hmm, I thought it was anyway. Um, but if you ask the grocer, Korean red, red pepper, pepper flakes, flakes, he's going to show you uh, a wall of different brands. All at, of at them least, red. Yeah, at least our Asian <laughs> store has all of them in the red, uh, and you buy them in these big bags. Now, this pepper isn't like exceedingly hot. No, it's not. In fact, I've used that pepper as like on my popcorn. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really nice. It's a nice flavor. It does it, it? It really gives you a nice heat, but it's not. It's not like you're you're down in cayenne. Right. It reminds me a little bit of maybe a dried, powderized pimento style pepper. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. And and again, here's the thing: if they say a couple tablespoons, no. Nah. Reach in that bad boy and pull out a big old handful. Yes, you know, by the and handful, and you and know. if you think that's, then go ahead and do it again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, the, all the good kimchi's I've had have a really thick red yeah. paste of chili uh, around all the vegetables and stuff that give it this amazing mouthfeel and flavor and texture. I really like that a lot. So. By all means, by generous. That's why they, they sell them in these big bags, not just these little tiny bags. Right. You know, exactly. so you can use handfuls yep. of red chili powder. <laughs> um, so that's the biggest thing. So that's so. Okay. So you've been eating kimchi for a while now. Well, we know. Oh, I got to I, I gotta tell you how you do it. Right? Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. Tell, tell us. Okay. So you've got all this together. You've put this all in a bowl. Now, you've got to weigh this out. Right? There is a thing where you, you do yeah. have to weigh it because you've got to get your ratios right. Yeah. Right, so uh, I believe it. It's it's now if we, I'm trying to remember the ratio, can you've done this enough? You might know better. Is it two pounds to two pounds of your basic vegetables and up to about a pound of everything else? So the apple and about the, three pounds, the garlic and the ginger. Yeah. But it's so yeah, really about three pounds about three pounds in your bowl, batch. and then you yeah. add your mineralized salt to that. Mm-hmm. Sprinkle it all around, yep. and you use the appropriate amount of the salt for that. This is where salt can get a little. I think if you this, this is where it's important to do this ratio right because if you do this wrong, you'll have no matter how much apple you put in there, you're going to have something that's going to be a little more saltier than your traditional kimchi will be. Right. 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 So once you get your salt ratio right based on the amount of um, vegetable that you have in your kimchi, then uh, this is my fun part: is you basically massage the bejesus out of. Out of the vegetables, you squeeze and turn and squeeze and turn and turn again and squeeze and you're just squeezing. What you're really doing is is working that salt into all of the vegetables so that it starts that process like we talked about last week of fermenting by breaking down those cell walls and getting that stuff available so that it, it can start that fermentation process. So that's where that squeezing and squeezing and squeezing is. And then from there, you put it, in our case, we put it into a half gallon. Well, you got to add your red pepper flake at that point. Oh, is your red pepper? Because you know, we, we don't put the red pepper oh, flake yeah. in until after right, right, the juices sorry, yeah. have started that to right. run. Yeah, okay, so you've got to, yeah, because, yeah, there's this, yeah, you have to let it rest. Now, after yeah. you massage all that, red pepper flake's still aside. If you massage that, then you let it sit for a couple hours and the water will start to pull out. Yeah, and you start to see sort of a sheen on your vegetables. Right. It's, if you watch the quality, just keep checking after mm-hmm. you've done it once, you will recognize it every time. Then we reach into the bag of, <laughs> of, of, of pepper flakes and we put it on there. We do it again. We put it on there. We mix it up and mix it up, mix it. We get this really incredible red kimchi mix ready to go to ferment. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we put it into a half gallon yeah. um, curd jar, canning jar. Yeah. And we have plastic lids. You can get those at the, at the store as well, which is really cool, by the way. Because uh, I like using those over the metal because the metal could rust. Yes. You can get yeah. that from that. So 
I like using the plastic lids. Plus the plastic's all one piece and the yeah. metal is two pieces. Two pieces. Yeah, two pieces. Right. Yeah. So put that in there. Leave the headspace like we talked about last week. And then um, don't close the lid so air can't leave. It's going gonna, it's gonna to ferment. So that loose. means it's – Right. Yeah, close it loose. So um, gas is going to want to escape. If you leave that in there, you, you're probably going to have carbonated – Kimchi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that you want that. Right. You know, uh, or, or it'll, I mean, fermentation juice will find a way out. So you'll end up with a mess. Yeah. And you don't want a mess, especially now that this has got the red chili flakes in it because yes. it will get everywhere and it'll make your, your, your counter or your butcher block table or whatever is going to get red. Yes. And I have done that. Yes. And it took quite a while to scrub that out. Absolutely. Yeah. That so was that's fun. like the basic process. And I think we're going to have a recipe for it on the notes or. You'll yes, see it. we'll have a recipe. I'll include a link in the notes. All right. So, yeah, that's the basic process. So now, how long have you been eating kimchi? Is this like a lifelong affair for you? No. I mean, someone had mentioned, I think it was a relative of ours, that, that they loved kimchi and their family loved kimchi. And I found out what it was. And I was like, who the hell would want to eat rotted food? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> the way they made it sound was like, yeah, you do this stuff and then you put it in the ground and you ferment it. And I'm like, you're talking about rotted food. Why would you put food? Why would you in do the that? Like that? But then I started thinking about it more. I was like, well, a whole, a whole society does this, and they yeah. do it all the time, and it's you know, and now I know why they do it because it's a really great digestive. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So I've been probably eating kimchi and consistently eating kimchi, probably what for the last six to eight months consistently, mm-hmm. um, and off and on prior to that when I could get a hold of it before we were actually just making it. Right. Uh, and if I got to go to um, our friend's house, I would just sit down and say, where's the kimchi? <laughs> you know, because yeah. there was always fresh kimchi. Um, so, yeah, about about that. And um, I think when, when I when I moved to um, a different diet, I mean, I was a been a staunch meat eater for almost 50 years. Meat, dairy. Yeah, meat and dairy. And occasionally a vegetable would land on your plate. Yeah, and and, kick it and off. we've talked about this before on the podcast too, where you know I've, I've done changes to to do that. And so this year, I at the first year, I, I said, okay, I'm going to try vegan at least for six months and see where I end up, see how this works for me. And I think having the vegan or having the um, first of all, if you go from a, a, a meat based diet, dairy based diet, to a vegetable based diet, that first four weeks you're going to notice digestive changes very, very quickly. Yes. And not some of the pleasant ones. Yeah, you're going to be gassy. Yes, you're going to be bloated. <laughs> yeah. um, your biome is like trying to – freaking out because the food that they were getting is not there anymore. So they got to redo stuff. They got to rebuild. Um, things happen. Um, so kimchi and other fermented foods, you know, like the sauerkrauts and other things, for me really helped in that process. And I noticed the days that I didn't eat that and then would eat – my regular vegetable meals or whatever, I would not feel as as well or feel as good. But when I would keep adding that to my diet, I would feel better and better. And now when I don't have it every day, I feel like I'm missing something. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you and I, um, while recording this podcast, we had a very quick um, lunch, yeah. vegan-ish lunch. I mean, there was, there was cheese on it to this time. Um, and... I felt right before, I'm like, boy, where's my kimchi? Where's my sauerkraut? I really would like that before I eat this because this is going to sit, <laughs> you know, and there's no pickle spear with it. You know, yeah. there's no right. thing to get going. Yeah. So, I, you know, that, so I think that it's helped my transition to becoming um, more vegan or vegan-ish. 
And that has actually helped my weight loss. And I've seen my digestion get so much better. I had a lot of issues digestive wise in the last 10 or 15 years. You know, I had IBS for a while. I had to give up milk for a long time. I was able to bring milk back in, but um, I've had uh, issues where um, I just, I just didn't have the best digestion. And after moving to this, um, you know, vegan, vegan ash diet um, and adding uh, basically probiotic foods to it. Yeah. I've noticed a big difference in my digestion. Yeah. When we first decided to do vegan diet, I, for whatever reason, felt strongly about including fermented foods. So I, that was one of my goals. And after the first two or three weeks, I was at one point reading, I don't know, some vegan cookbook or blog or something. And I realized that the initial transition for a lot of people who go from a straight up meat and potatoes kind of meat and dairy diet to vegan diet, the way we did, which was like overnight change, just going to do this. Going to do this, yeah. Usually it takes any everything, every bit of three to six months for their digestive tract to adjust. And during that process, there's a lot more gassiness. You're more likely to have bloating, intestinal cramping, possibly either diarrhea or constipation or both. And a lot of it has to do with certain elements or aspects of your microbiome dying off because they're no longer needed and being fed. Other parts of the colony not being robust enough to handle the digestive digestion processes that are needed. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was about a month, month and a half, maybe. I went through, for me, I went through a different experience because I had, I did vegetarian for three months and then I went vegan right right after that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was expecting to have a lot more moody issues in our household, shall we say. And what I've noticed, which from my perspective was really surprising, is that the last six or eight months... Well, you've also been eating fermented foods and you've been vegan. Your mood swings have been like much less. You're like, I mean, you're still the dramatic guy you've always been. But but you're not nearly as moody as you had been. And I don't know if it's fermented food specifically, vegan specifically, being, you know, looking at age 50 and thinking I've got to really, you know. The other thing that I was doing during that period of time, too, wasn't just the dietary changes, that we increased our workout load a lot. I mean, we were going to the gym three, four times a week, sweating a lot. But we had a very long span there where you weren't working out at all because of shelter at home. Yeah, COVID, yeah, that pretty much ended gym time. Yeah. And as much as I wanted to work out from home, I just couldn't seem to... That's always been the bane of your existence. That's why I paid money to go to a gym. Yeah. You know, and to have a trainer to, to... call me out on me not being there and you're developing a group of people that were like you know appreciative when I was there and you know texting me when I wasn't you know because that's that's accountability and I usually am more successful when I'm accountable than when I'm not if I'm just left my own devices then I will probably not do much (laughs) I have a tendency just to be in my rut and be good a little bit of a couch potato not necessarily a couch potato but I don't have to do things I don't want to do yeah so well, I can tell you that my my experience of you during shelter at home and, and before workout began again has been that you've overall still remained surprisingly even keel. So I don't know that the exercise portion was what was making you even keel. 
It's possible, or, but you know, yeah. I'm just trying to look at the overall. As even as, even as it gets. Right. <laughs> Instead of the boat rocking, you know, up to 45 oh. degree marks, it's only 20 yeah. degrees this way, 20 degrees that way. Exactly. That's not too bad. Yeah. No, that's fine. I can live with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the water on the gunnels <laughs> is bad. Yeah, it really is. Did you ever wonder how we get those great ideas for articles on The Practical Herbalist? Or those interviews on the Real Herbalism Radio or the summit ideas that we have on Herbs in Action. Well, they're all generated from usually one place, and that is the Herbal Nerd Society. If you want a voice in what we produce and what we cater to and make for you, then check out the Herbal Nerd Society and become a member. You'll not only get that voice, but you always get an you'll also get an ad-free viewing environment on the Practical Herbalist. HerbalNerdSociety.com. So do you have any tips for folks who are thinking about Giving fermented foods a try. Well, before I mean, the thing is, is that I I did not like sour foods either before mm-hmm. this. Yeah, I hated sour foods. Now I I don't want to say I crave them, but I enjoy them. I mean, having yeah. a pickle um, or a few pickles now is something I really look forward to. Um, having the kimchi, a little little ramekin of kimchi when I come home from work is I like that. Yeah, it's, it's a treat. It's a treat, and I really enjoy that. Um, and, you know, it's something, you know, you made or I made, you know, so it's always a good mm-hmm. treat. So I I really enjoyed that and I, and it really makes me want to have more fermented foods. So now um, I know there's some things that we've done in the past that um, we've had that um, not fermented necessarily, but they're pickled that I've been trying to eat more of mm-hmm. um, because of, we have them and why not? So. Yeah. Um, so you said, what was the question you asked me? <laughs> So I asked if you had any tips for for keeping or using fermented foods. Well, because they're fermenting, right? So if you're they're on the counter, guess what they're doing? They're fermenting. They're fermenting. They're yeah. fermenting every day, all day, every day. Yeah. So kimchi on the counter will change. For me, my favorite part of the kimchi, honestly, is in, is in day three, four, and five. Okay. But you start getting to six, seven, and eight if we still have it. Starts by, to get really by six like, and seven, it's really, really sour. A little puckering there. Really sour. Yeah. And and that's when I don't enjoy it. I continue to eat it because one, I don't want to waste it, and two, I know, I know it's good for me. And, and I a lot of times I'll, I'll like put it into salads or things. Yeah, like and that, we'll so. yeah we'll put it into other things as a as a flavor enhancer, and it does really yeah. well with that. So I'm not you know, but it, it's just coming home and having a bowl of it. I'm gonna, day yeah. seven. I'm gonna be less apt to do that. Right. But. Um, what you can do and what you'll find is like if you go to an uh, Asian store that they make their own kimchi as well, mm-hmm. to make it store longer, I will sometimes put half of it in the fridge. Yeah. That really slows down the fermentation process. Right. A so lot. Then, then when you pull that second half out, you're back to day three or four. Right. Versus, you know, day six or seven and you're like, ooh, pucker, pucker, pucker. You know? <laughs> right. um, and the other thing to, uh, when you're doing it is to avoid, um, avoid uh, heat. Yeah, because those are live cultures, right. right? So any kind of heat. I mean, think about it. You know, what does pasteurization do? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's it kills stuff. It, it's kill stuff, and um, any kind of heat will do that same thing. So that's yeah. you don't you want to treat your peeps good. You want to treat your cultures really good and right. avoid the heat. Now, you can cook some of the ingredients that you put in, but you got to put them in when they're not hot. Right. Right. But I, when it came to kimchi, I, did, I didn't cook any of the ingredients. They're all raw. Right. Yeah. When I've made. Um, occasionally I'll make like a fry up on my just stove top mm-hmm. and I'll fry up some, I don't know, mushrooms and carrots and whatever else it is that I happen to have. Yeah. And then I put that in a bowl 
And I wait until the bowl is till it's like not it's, steaming. Yeah, it's not steaming. Right. Well, I'm busy, you know, doing the other yeah. things, and then I throw my kimchi in there and stir it a little bit so it adds in. Yeah, and that and that's fine. And but it works like, really well when it hits that super sour level. Yeah, that's a good way to disperse you're, you're the not, sour. You're not going to take your wok out, put two tablespoons of oil in there, get it really hot, drop in your kimchi, and expect the cultures to say. Right. You've killed Although, them. I mean... You can for flavoring. Like you can yeah. do a kimchi fried rice. Exactly. Which is amazing, by the way. Yeah. One of my favorite dishes, a great way to use up rice. You know, you know, take that out of the fridge when it's cold. You think it's all crumpled up. Add a little bit, I add a little bit of rice vinegar on there and then you just do this fried rice with that kimchi. Mm-hmm. So good right now. Right. I think we should go home and make some kimchi fried rice. Anyway. Oh, so bad. <laughs> so, so bad. Um, and then uh, the other thing that, that a lot of people don't realize too is like, well, you and I have a biome. Guess what other animals in our house have a nice biome? Well, okay. All animals have a biome. Yeah. But if you've got a dog. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, we feed our dog a uh, raw food diet. Right. Right. And But some people don't. And that's fine. It's your choice on what you want to do and how you want to feed your dog. I'm not going to judge you. But being that being said, if you have kimchi, that dog's probably going to like it. And it's going to be so beneficial for their, for their microbiome just as it is for yours. Yeah. If you think about the way that we – care for our dogs now and you think about the way they've evolved their bodies are evolved to be able to handle an awful lot of rotten stuff Mm -hmm. that's what their digestive system's for right Mm -hmm. so feeding your dog fermented foods is probably going to be quite helpful for them because it gives their gut something to it's really enhancing what their gut always already wants and especially since so many dogs eat very highly processed food diets it's good to give them that extra boost. And I'm not talking like a cup or anything. I'm talking no. like, you Jasper know, teaspoon, tablespoon at a time. Just nothing, you know, every now and then. It's not Jasper, like it's every day. You know? Well, Jasper gets fermented foods every day. Yeah, but he He's, mostly gets – he goes. He, he don't really gets a lot of sauerkraut from you though. He doesn't get a lot of kimchi. He gets whatever it is that I've eaten. So if I eat kimchi that day, he gets kimchi. If right. I eat sauerkraut, he gets sauerkraut. Whatever it is I eat, he eats. Mm-hmm. And I usually end up giving him his own fresh portion of it. So he eats – because I'm, I'm like, you know – sweet to him so if i have like the last like inch of my burrito i'll set that aside for jasper right then i add some kimchi to it Mm -hmm. and then i hand it to him (laughs) fusion it was funny too because when i first did it he looked at me like i was a nut i explained to him what this you know fermented foods were Mm -hmm. and he was like yeah i don't think i'm that interested i'm like no dude you're gonna give it a try i'm trying it you're gonna try it we're gonna have a little bit of this every day and the first three days, he was not entirely pleased with me, but he ate it because I put it right into his food so he couldn't avoid it. Right, right. And on the fourth day, he was like, you know, I think I kind of like this stuff. And now if I give him just kimchi, like just like a tablespoon of kimchi or sauerkraut and I set that down, he'll totally eat it. Yep. He's really, really happy with that stuff. He also likes cabbage hearts too, so. He does. <laughs> Perhaps he's unusual. Maybe. So what is your big takeaway from the kimchi challenge? Um, well, uh, before you go there, you did a couple other things that um, uh, <laughs> a, you made this you, – you did this horseradish garden because like we were doing some gardening. Okay. So what happened is one of my hens passed on. Right. And it was a hard, sad day. We were very sad to see her go. She was sweet, but it was her time. So she was – ill and ailing and I needed to help her along. Finn was home and he agreed to go dig the hole for me. So I said, go dig the hole out by where the horseradish is. So he dug the hole in the horseradish. 
which meant <laughs> I had horseradish on my hands. Horseradish root. And you know I'm not going to just let that go. Oh, no, your Polish grandparents would be rolling over in their graves. Oh, exactly. So I thought, well, gosh, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up, and we had this horseradish sauce all the time. And you can buy the stuff now in the jars. Right, the cream, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit sour, but not very. And so I thought, well, you know, got this horseradish, and I've got this garlic. Why not ferment it? And you did. And I was like, (laughs) what are you doing? Right. (laughs) You gave me the big old stink eye. I, I did. I did. You were awfully. I know. I'm always that way. Disapproving of this this endeavor, but as with so many of my crazy, your half your half cocked schemes, <laughs> yes. it actually turned out pretty good, didn't it? It's great. You know, I love, um, and I know all the vegans out there are rolling their eyes, but I use a little bit of mayo, yeah. and mix it together, and I put that on my on. on um, on sandwiches that I, that I make mm-hmm. that don't have any meat, but they're just sandwiches. I put that on, uh, oh, just by itself on, on pita is amazing. We've used it as a potato chip dip. Oh, yeah. And I <laughs> oh, and actually, I, we, we, we put it on baked potatoes, too. Mm-hmm. So good. Yes, and I'm quite certain that if you were a full-on dairy eater person, meat or not, but if you did full-on dairy, they would be really good in sour cream or in yogurt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure, the sour cream. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yogurt because yeah, 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 the acid, acid. Depends, yeah, but yeah. but oh, Greek yogurt, well, I bet you that would fly. Greek yogurt would probably be really yeah, good. Fly. So you asked what my takeaway from the kimchi challenge was? Yes. That fermented foods are really easy to make. They're fun. They taste amazing, and uh, they're really really good for you, and they're good for me. I I, I think that um, if you can add them um, to your diet, go for it. I mean, it's, it's, and if you can't make it, if you don't have the time, the space, don't want to buy the stuff, I get it. You know, you can buy kimchi's available at Costco now. Yeah. yeah. You can buy a big. At least in our area. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. It, also, Costco's changed where they're at, but it's available at Costco. I've seen it at our big uh, discount groceries for Winco. It's at Winco. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's available and now. And sauerkrauts are fairly easily available as well. Exactly. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't, I would, I would avoid the stuff in the bag. I know yeah. that's really good at a barbecue on your brats, but I would avoid that. Yeah. Find the stuff that's naturally fermented if you can. Yeah. And I yeah. think you, you'll just, it's a better, it's just better for you. It'll be tastier. And you like it more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's my big takeaway. Nice. Well, congratulations on scoring big for the Big King. The Kimchi, kimchi Challenge. Challenge. So, we've got a, uh, an Herbal 101 question today. Oh, boy. And it, it, it kind of follows along the lines of our of our new dietary uh, path. Ooh. And this is from uh, Catherine B. And Catherine says, um, "See, I love. Let's see, this is going to be a little kudos, a little self-adulation for us, you know." Hi, Candice and Patrick. I love listening to your podcast. And and as an ethnical vegan myself, I was excited to hear in your April eighth episode about the dietary changes you are pursuing. She said, yes, I'm a little behind. However, I just want to acknowledge that it actually recommends uh, – actually, it is recommended for vegans or people following a completely plant-based diet to supplement B12. And Candice, I, 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 we've heard that as well. Yes, I have actually. And I thank you very much for bringing that up because honestly, that is one of those things that when you switch diets, especially if you didn't grow up in a vegan household with a vegan diet and right. in a vegan culture – it's really easy to miss pieces, you know, sure. to miss the boat in areas, certain areas. So that was one of the ones where I really wanted to look into it more because I know that there are, you know, an awful lot of people who have 
grown up vegan, lived vegan their whole lives, been very healthy their whole lives in India mm-hmm. for centuries. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's out there, but I don't know how they do it. Or even yeah. our yoga instructor, who's Australian, yeah, has been vegan for decades, thirty years, yeah, and you and know. quite healthy, and uh, you know, and I I meant before we did the show to take a quick look at what the symptoms of uh, vitamin B twelve deficit are. I know many of them mimic the sim- symptoms of vitamin D deficit, um, and I think if I remember right, there's a lot of neurological stuff, so. A deficit in or not enough vitamin B12 can lead to things like Alzheimer's, dementia. It can contribute to multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's, I believe. So I think, but I can't, and I can't remember if it's beyond those types of neurological uh, diseases or disorders that it extends or not. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's everything from, you know, weakness, tiredness, lightheadedness, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, and pale skin. Constipation, diarrhea, loss of appetite or gas, and like you said, nerve problems like numbness, tingling, muscle weakness, and problems walking. That's if you have a deficiency of B12. Yes, and all of those things also show up in as patterns or sound like patterns for other types of diseases and conditions. Oh yeah, absolutely. So it is. It would be quite, hard one. Yeah, it'd be yeah hard it's a to, hard one to pinpoint, yeah. and it's also something that could be happening a lot more commonly with vegan and vegetarian people than we realize. Because of the possibility of it being misdiagnosed. Right. I know that the way if you really want to know definitively, just like with vitamin D, if you want to know definitively how much you've got in your blood, you have to have a culture done, a test done. Mm -hmm. And they can measure, I forgot which chemical, but they can measure a chemical to tell. Right. So with all of that said. So aside from supplements. Aside from supplements, which is not a bad idea. Pretty if you're concerned for, about it. Yeah, if you're concerned about it, it's not a bad idea to do for all vegetarians, all vegans, something to look at, potentially even for some meat eaters, especially if you have a malabsorption problems. Great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But I wanted to take a look. So I, I started doing a little bit of digging. I found a study where they pretty much summed up a whole wide number of studies. I forgot what they called it, this the survey study or whatever. But it's a paper where they talked about um, the amount of vitamin B12 found in various potential food sources for vegans and for vegetarians. Oh, okay. So from a vegetarian standpoint, like eggs and egg yolk, for instance, right. are a source. Right. And then obviously fortified dairy products could be a source. Again, you made that point, vegetarian, yeah. not yeah, vegan. Exactly. Um, when you start looking, though, at vegan, the, the list of potential sources for B12 narrows considerably because there really aren't a ton of them. Right. Fermented foods can be one of them. They aren't necessarily high on the list, though. Right. Tempeh. Surprisingly, tempeh has a lot of vitamin B12. I like tempeh. Not so much with the tofu, but tempeh <laughs> works. I know. My family doesn't like tempeh. Right. Mm. Well, anyway. I'm going to have to learn how to like that, I guess. Um, the one that I thought was the two that I thought were the highest, they're, they happened to be the highest, most favorable ones, but I was always, I was surprised by them. Well, yeah, because they're two of your favorites, too. I know. It made me very happy. One of them is nori. Oh. Apparently, nori is commonly eaten in places like Japan, like several sheets a day. It's just like a normal, this is what you do. And what is nori for the uninitiated? Nori is a specific, and I can't remember which one, but it's a specific seaweed, it's a seaweed. that's been baked into or flattened into sheets, and it's often used for sushi. Sushi, yeah. Um, the ones that have the most is the purple version of nori. Oh, okay. Although if you toast it, that doesn't reduce oh, okay. the B12. So 
if you want to have nori as your primary source, you're going to need to have like four grams or like almost an two eighth of an ounce. No, an eighth of an ounce. Oh, four okay. grams is about an eighth of an ounce. Oh, okay. And then, so that, you know, four grams of nori a day, that seems to me like that'd be a fairly easy. Well, for me, it'd be really easy because I like nori. Yeah, I like nori too. Jasper likes nori too. And again, at Costco, you can get those really cool toasted yes. sesame oiled sheets of nori. So if you don't like seaweed and you don't like the taste of that, then there's this other option, which is really snackable. Even our kid who hates seaweed likes we'll this. We'll sit down and eat though, yeah, right. which is infuriating because right. I don't want to share those. Mm-hmm. So the other one that surprised me was shiitake mushrooms. Oh, that's your prime prime food source, you? Yes, I do happen to really love shiitake mushrooms. We have a place locally where we can get them in large boxes for, you know, fresh. Yeah, fresh, like large four or five boxes. pound boxes, aren't they? Yeah, it's like, I think it's five pounds and it's only like 25 bucks. bucks. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really love those. And... um I was surprised by how much. I mean, not not all mushrooms have tons right. of B12, but shiitakes happen to have a decent amount. So if you're having shiitakes, and the study wasn't specific. They didn't say fresh shiitakes or dried. So I'm going to assume that we're talking about dried shiitakes, just to be on the safe mm-hmm. side. B12 is not damaged as far as I can tell by drying. So either way... If you're looking at dried mushrooms, you're looking at two ounces of dried mushrooms. So that's 50 grams. We get these bags of oh, one of those freeze-dried mushrooms that are made as a snack. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. Again, I, I hate to be promoting Costco, but that's the only place I've seen them. That's the only place I've right, seen them. But yeah. we get them, and the bag is seven ounces. Right. Which means that if you take out a seventh of that bag, it's really like a couple of generous handfuls. Which I find to be hard to stop there personally. Oh, so, yeah, that is, that is, yeah. I, when we first got those, I was like, um, yeah. Yeah. And now I eat them, like, I really, really like every time we go to Costco, that gets put in our cart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we love those. So I'm looking at it. I mean, in the study, they said, oh, you know, that's kind of hard to get that many shiitakes in. But I'm looking at it going, um, it's really hard to not get that many in. <laughs> Yes, for you, yeah. 50 grams is two ounces of shiitakes in a day. That's not that hard. Right, right. right. And then bonus for us, because we live in a prime chanterelle territory, uh-huh. chanterelles are another reasonably high source. Well, that's even – oh, see? Now yeah. I know why I go out. Yeah. Chanterelles and lion's mane mushrooms were two, the two of the mushrooms they tested and, and looked at. Those were the other two that were reasonably high. Shiitakes by far were the best choice. And they did note that, you know, there's a bunch of dependencies or changes depending on where the mushroom is grown and how it was grown and a whole bunch of other stuff. Right. You know, you might have varying levels. So maybe for shiitakes, instead of two ounces, go with three just to be safe. For you, that's a no-brainer. Four, just because you can. Because <laughs> you can. <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> the other thing that, you know, you were saying too uh, when we were talking that, you know, if you, you like Cheerios or other things. Yeah. Or, you know, most of those cereals are fortified with... Oh, your essential exactly. vitamins. So you, yes. that'd be another spot where yeah. you could get your, you know, if you're a vegan, you could say, I'm going to get my soy milk or my coconut milk and I'm going to have um, my Cheerios and yes. there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, for someone like me, I tend to avoid grains because I've noticed that my body doesn't process them as well. So I tend to get my starches and carbohydrates through things like potato chips or dried shiitake mushrooms. I just have to bump up my dried shiitake mushroom quotient. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that and then there is a T. So I've heard this was another thing that I wanted to talk about just because I've heard people say, oh, you're vegan? How are you getting your B12? And I say, well, you know, supplement, we do this, we do that. And they're like, oh, you drink tea, right? Yes, I drink tea. Oh, well, black tea, black tea has tons of vitamin B12, I've heard. Yes and no. There is a fermented black tea that's called Bata Bata Cha. I probably completely mispronounced that. And, and how, many, sens- how many people are going to have access to that? I, I sincerely apologize to all of our Japanese listeners and our Japanese-speaking listeners because I know I mispronounced that. It's a Japanese fermented black tea. Right. It has not great levels, but higher than other sources' levels of B12. So it's an, an option if you have access to that. I don't personally, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean your Earl Grey is going to give you vitamin B12. Right. Um, the Assam that you adore for chai, not going to give you vitamin B12. That's not going to do it. Right, right. Kimchi, eh, minimal amount. Although if you put nori in the kimchi, you're going to boost your vitamin B12 and you'll probably also make it more bioavailable. So, or, Is the wakame, would that have B12? Wakame was not one of the ones they listed as being mm. on the higher side. So okay. I was thinking about switching to nori flakes for our next kimchi and see how oh, that goes. I'm, I'm open to that. More yeah. kimchi. Right? All right. Well, I, that, So yeah, so, that was a, was, I was so glad that she brought that up because it was something that – it was in the back of my mind like – in January that I should look into it, then right. I ignored the back of my mind in favor of other more fun playgrounds. So thanks, Catherine, for that, um, those lovely comments and um, the concern and question about B12. Yes, and we are so far still pretty vegan-ish. Yeah, we're vegan-ish. I mean, yeah. again, we, we didn't mention before the podcast that we did have burritos and you know they were being in cheese and veggie, but there was cheese on them. Yeah, well, and one of the things I've noticed for me that's been interesting is that I seem to be needing more oil and it's harder to get a high oil diet with vegan. So I have been straying into the dairy. Yeah, you much more than I am. I'm just avoiding it as much as possible. It didn't do well for you. No, no. And I, and I have to limit it per week. I can't, I can't eat a lot of it and um, that's fine. I don't need a lot of cheese anymore. I used to love it and adore it and think it was this thing, but now it's like I can live without it. You know, it's like everything else. There are there are things I can easily say no to, and things I can't. Yeah. Cheese, I can say no to that. Then you, know? you should. I mean, yeah. there's only a few cheeses that if I see it, they're like, okay, I, I just want it for that flavor, but I don't need to have it on my tacos. I don't need to have it on my, right. you know, it just becomes a, an added amount of calories, not a necessarily a thing by itself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so awesome. Yeah. But thank you. So as always, put, put an herb on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.